It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the show, we have an awesome guest who I'm really excited to talk about. Her name is Tiffany Lovell. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you I'm, for me. I am really excited to talk with you. You have a lot of really beautiful talents and accolades and experience and have used these to really help women reclaim their light. So you were telling me a little bit before the podcast started about how really you want to bring women and men, anyone, people closer to heavenly father or, or to their higher power. And you have lots of really interesting and beautiful ways of doing this that I'm so excited to get into. So really quick with your bio, do you love it when people read your bio? Is it your favorite thing ever? It's totally my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited while you read it. I, okay, good. Get really excited, but the audience really loves to hear people's okay, bios good. so they can hear. I, I'm the same. I'm like, please don't read my bio. <laughs> I get to talk about how amazing you are and you just get to say thank you and yes. Yeah. And it's just like a little self-esteem. Okay. okay. So Tiffany works with women and teen girls girls to transform their lives by helping them discover the pain, trauma, depression, and anxiety they store within their body. Tiffany guides them to create a space of healing, connection, and love in order to become who they were truly meant to be in this life as they step into their divine purpose, like we talked about. She's the best-selling author and is the CEO of Reclaiming Light. What was the book that you sold that was a best-selling book? It's called Beautiful in My Skin. Beautiful in my skin. Ooh, let's talk about that too. Tiffany lives with her husband and five kids in the Pacific Northwest and hosts retreats and loves collecting sea glass with her kids on the beaches there. Oh, you, oh, my boys would love to do that. Are there lots of really amazing different varieties of the sea glass that washes up? Yes. Red is the sea glass that's kind of the most rare. So when you find red sea glass, it's really a big deal. Do you sell it or do you keep it to collect? We just keep it and collect it. We've got a huge jar of it that one day, I mean, I've been pinning things on Pinterest of what I can do with all my sea glass, but for now it just sits in a jar. Okay. And for those of us who don't really know, is it literally glass that has just been turned and turned? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a couple of different beaches up here that you can find tons of sea glass every day. More just washes back up. Like it's, I don't know where it's coming from, but it just shows up at these beaches. So oh, that is glass beach. Ooh, so- glass beach. Oh, that is amazing. I would love, my boys would love to go up there. I would too. Okay. So, um, Tiffany, in your free time, you facilitate a homeschool co-op for your children and several others in just in your free time, right. you just homeschool kids in your free time. Yep. No big deal. And you're passionate about creating opportunities and space for women to understand their worth. I love that so much. You can find more information or connect with Tiffany at www.reclaiminglight.com. Tiffany, oh my goodness. Okay, let's start with talking about how you started this whole idea of, of reclaiming light. Was it something that you just felt prompted and inspired to do or have you had an experience in your life where you felt like you weren't as close to your Heavenly Father as you wanted to be and you found out how to do that? How did you come into this? Okay. So I haven't ever told anybody this. So this will be kind of a, a new like sneak peek into my world. Oh, I love it. When I was 14, 
I was almost 14 years old. It was the summer before my freshman year in high school. I had made the freshman cheerleading team, which was a really big deal because I had never been in cheerleading. And now I was going into high school and I made freshman cheerleading. And this was like, you know, circa 1994. And we only had the phones that hang on the wall, right? That you have to like stretch the cord oh, out. Oh, yeah. Yep. So the rule in my house was you were not allowed to call boys. And I called a boy. And I got in really big trouble. And the consequence was I could either quit the cheerleading team. I mean, like, seriously, I could quit the cheerleading team or I had to read Tony Robbins book, Awaken the Giant Within, which is like this thick. And for those who are just hearing it, like, just imagine really thick if you haven't ever seen that book. And I had to write a, a report on every chapter. So I would read a chapter and then the next day I had to write a report. So by the end of it, it was like the entire summer would be taken up reading this book and writing like 36 report book reports. So just I had for calling a boy. Yes, for calling a boy. What in so, the world? Okay. And you were how old again? Remind 14, us. 14 years old. <laughs> So I, of course, was not going to give up cheerleading. And I thought, well, I'm an avid reader and I can, you know, nonsense my way through a essay or a book report. So I'll choose that one. And so I started this really dumb book and started reading and writing the stuff. Well, exactly what happened is what my dad wanted to have happened, which was that it starts to change your life. When you read books like that, it starts to make you responsible for your thoughts, for what you're doing. You have to be in control of those things. And so it really set my personal development world like at 14 years old on up. So I just like really moved into that space of wanting to do something bigger. Like I always wanted to do something bigger. And I thought that meant going and being on Broadway, which I actually got accepted to school and went out to New York City. And I thought that was my big thing. I was going to contribute to the world and I was going to yeah. move them to tears, you know, in a, in a performance. But now I make women cry all the time, just in Zoom or in my office because we're having really huge breakthroughs. But I really think, that's where everything started for me is learning that, wow, we are so much more powerful than we realize. And my dad will remind me often about how he should be getting some royalties from this, you know, great start that I had in my career. I honestly, I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine. Well, first of all, my parents saying you can't call a boy. Right. I mean, boys were my life, especially at 14. It's like right? boys are everything. What, why were they so strict? with that? I was the oldest. I think that they're just like real tight reins, just trying to keep me safe and really in this bubble world, which actually when I moved to New York City at 18, it was completely shell-shocked of all the things that now all of a sudden I was allowed to do. And I didn't even know these were things because I had just been in such this little bubble in high school. But I really think, I mean, they had the best intentions. And now I have, you know, almost a 14 year old and I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I want her to call boys and maybe I'll do the same consequence. I, I was going to ask how that affected you, how that's yeah. affected you as a parent now, if you're as strict as your parents were, or if you're a little more lenient. I think yours. I'm a little more lenient. I think it's also a very different time to be raising kids. Like totally. you have to be a little different. It's not like, you know, the only TV we watched then was on Friday, the TGIF shows where now screens are in kids' hands all the time. And all so the time. It's yep. really, and with COVID, it's been their 
communication device to their world. So if you take yes. away that device, then you lose the ability for them to connect. And so, yeah, I think parenting has been different just based on the times in which we live. For sure. But did it make you want to rebel? Like what made you say, fine, I'll do the report instead of, I'm not doing either one. I'm just going to keep calling boys. I was like, and if my sister ever listened to this, I don't know if she'd be mad, but she would have been the one that would have been like, I'm just going to call the boys. <laughs> but I was really okay. I was obedient. Like I was the good girl. I just always really wanted to please and make them proud of me. Yeah. I had this deep sense of, okay, like what else, what can I do? And, and then it just kind of grew and, and, you know, just kind of rolled out from there where it just became, I loved the work so much. I loved, which I know that my dad did it on purpose. It wasn't coincidence that he picked a book like that, but it. Right. Tony Robbins. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then like, we actually went to one of his seminars right at the end of before I had graduated. And so it had, yeah, I went and walked on fire and did the whole thing. So, so you were a fan from an, from a young age. I, yeah, I don't know that I was a fan. My parents were fans, but I loved, I just loved the work, the personal development work. Okay, cool. And I mean, I just read a lot of different books. He was just the first one that I, that I had. Not my choice. Yes. (laughs) So what do you think it is about self-help books and motivational speakers? What are the ones that really stick and, and how come sometimes people can go to a conference or a retreat or read a book. And they're just like, that was so inspiring. That was so amazing. But I I don't know how to implement that. Like, I don't know how to actually now have that affect my life. Like sometimes I'll hear even talks and I'm like, I should do that. And then I don't, is that, is that more on the person that doesn't know how to implement that? Or do you think it maybe wasn't presented in an easier way of, of how to then apply that to someone's life? Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, when you have that experience and you have this moment of, oh my gosh, this is really good. I want to take this and do it in my life. But then you go back into your life where everything is exactly the same. It's not that feel good environment where you originally felt that thing. Right. So it's harder to implement. The people around us fight really hard for our limitations. They really want us to stay the way that we are because it's comfortable for them because then it means they don't have to change. So not only are we up against our own will or our own motivational power, but we're also up against everybody else around us. Who's like, no, this is more comfortable. Stay. I was telling clients just yesterday that we've got these people in our life that are like, stay in the lobster pot. It feels so much safer. Let's just all be in the pot. Stop trying to get out of the pot. And we're the ones that are like, no, but I've seen what it can be like on the outside. Right. Get the strength and the momentum to get ourselves out of that. And too often it's easier just to say, oh, I'll just stay. I'll just stay where I'm at. There's no accountability. There's no follow through. Nobody on the outside knows that this was something I really wanted. So it's easier. I'll just be where I'm at. So how do you get out of the lobster pot? Well, I think it takes you making decisions, more powerful decisions than you've ever made before, choosing to do things that you've never done in order to get something different. So in the, when I'm working with people, that looks like facing uncomfortable and hard things that you've buried and you've stuffed way deep down. But it also means having that 
right support system around you so that when you go back into your lobster pot at the end of the call or at the end of the session, you know you have the strength and the tenacity to get yourself back out. You also have this support system and the accountability in place to be able to keep you growing and keep you moving on the other side. What happens is once people get themselves out of that pot, they are able to then call back to their friends and their family and say, hey, it's safer over here. Come on out. Like they get to be the ones that invite because they broke the cycle. And a lot of times people are afraid to be the cycle breakers in their homes and their marriages and their families because it's uncomfortable. It means yeah. change happens. And what if they don't come? What if they don't want to be part of this change? And what if I break this cycle and I do something different yeah. and it means that I leave them behind? And so there's this feeling of it's just easier. Again, we go back to it's just I'll just stay versus facing what we don't know and risking and having hope that life is better on the outside. Do you think that people who finally are brave enough or decide it's time to make a change and get out of that pot and do something different and maybe kind of drastic with their lives, like a big life overhaul that the people around them then want to make life changes themselves because they see incredible, you know, leaps and bounds that this person has made in their life? Do you find that then the people around them also kind of think, oh, wow, that actually looks like they're doing really well and maybe I should have like a life overhaul. Do you find that that happens? Yeah, I have a six month program that I take women through and it's an experience that we, you know, every week builds on the next. And in the beginning, it's really crunchy and uncomfortable with family members as they're watching things change. But then as time goes on and they realize this light that this person has in their life now and the joy that they're having, there's this you know, almost like moths to a light. They they crave that same light. They don't. They haven't been through this process or this journey like the the individual has, but they want what they have. And so then yeah. now these women who are in this program are more able to invite and show the way and teach the things they're learning, and be the example to guide them on their journey. I will say that there are times where there are some family members who are just super resistant and things go a very different direction. But the bottom line is it doesn't stay the same. It will either improve dramatically because you choose to stand in your integrity and move forward, or the person who doesn't want to change will drift off and you will recognize that separation in relationship or boundary because they're choosing something completely different than what you're choosing. And chances are, if that's the way that it goes, it was never super solid in the beginning. Like before oh. you actually started your journey, there was probably contention. There was probably not very much harmony in that relationship. So when it gets to that point where they choose to go a different direction, yeah, there's probably a lot of relief and a lot of peace that comes from that because you no longer have to fight or battle that energy anymore, that heaviness and darkness they're choosing out automatically. Oh, interesting. So so what is the work that you teach women to do? What what are the steps or what are some of the ideas or or therapy work that you do that help women get to this place where they're like, okay, I'm ready to to be better. And 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 what are the type of things that that you want women to improve on? Is it their self-talk? Is it being productive in their daily lives? Is it forgiving themselves from, from past mistakes or other people's mistakes that they've done to them? What is kind of that work that you're talking about? Well, specifically about women and, and teen girls as they're learning this, you know, navigating this life, 
as women, we're really hard on our bodies. We become really mean to ourselves, And so whether it's in the reflection in the mirror, whether we're touching ourselves, putting our seatbelts on, getting dressed in intimacy, like we are just not very nice to ourselves, And that has come from experiences that have happened to us. So things happen to us and then we get mad and we hold that emotion and we punish our body for those things that happen to us and we take it out on her. So she's this innocent bystander going through life with us, experiencing these pains and, and with us through this journey. But then when someone hurts us, we hurt her. We feed her too much. We stuff her full of food that isn't good for her. We don't feed her the right things. We stay up way too late. We watch too much screen, whatever it is, like we hurt her. And then we expect her to perform optimally. You must get up at this time. You must do these. You must show up this way. You must carry all the groceries in in one load, like whatever it is. And so we start out really helping women to recognize all the ways in which they've actually hurt their body. Not the things that have happened to them because we get to that work, but it's look at how you've shown up to your body. She's your best friend. Like she's the only one who's been there with you for every heartbreak, every rejection, every isolation, abandonment, failure, everything she's been with you. And yet she's the one that gets punished the most often. Like she suffers because of all your pains. So we get them to identify the ways that they've hurt themselves. And then when they look at all of those ways, how do they feel? Make a list of all the feelings that come up from that. And this becomes the playbook by which they're operating under. So shame, regret, guilt, you know, frustration, anger, they're now running cycles based off of all of those feelings in their life. So I have shared, I, I worked at Bath and Body Works for a while and I was a store manager at a high volume store in Denver and we got a playbook of how the, the company wanted us to operate the store, right down to like what you put on each shelf, everything was in this playbook. And that was like the Bible for the store. That's how you operate everything, hiring, firing, whatever, customer service issues. We have the same thing. We're running cycles based off of a playbook that we've been operating under throughout our whole life. And let's say we want to be up here, you know, in our dream house and our dream relationship, but we're using a playbook that operates at a much lower level. We won't ever get up here. No matter how bad we're like, you know, saying the affirmations and reading the personal development books, we're just not going to get there because we've got this playbook that's operating, telling us this is as good as it gets for you. This is, this is where you're at. This is the gold standard for your life. When we're ready to throw out that playbook and get a new one and install new beliefs and new truths, that's when things really start shifting. That's when we realize that everything that's happened to us and that we've caused in our own body can be healed then we have the capacity and the ability to change it. And life goes a totally different direction. You don't have to play by that same old pattern anymore. That is so interesting. So I've heard other people talk, kind of separate the soul from the body. Like they'll say like, she, you know, refer to your body as if like it's a separate entity. That's a really interesting concept, I think. Do you... Why do you do that? Why don't you just say you haven't treated yourself? You are over, instead of saying you, 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 it's, it's almost like you separate the body and the spirit. Why is that? Because a woman who is not connected to her body won't learn to love her body, calling it me, me, me. Like she's so angry at herself or at her body that until she can separate it and go, 
oh my gosh, I would never treat my daughter that way. I would never treat my best friend, my mom, my even my worst enemy. I would never say some of the things that I say to my own self to them. And right. so when we separate it out, it gives us a very different perspective. It changes the relationship and it allows us to actually then integrate and become one and work together. But right now it's this weird, like disconnected, trying to be together, but really hating ourself. And once we can filter this out and start to see this is my body and this is me, and then I've got emotional stuff and then I've got beliefs, we get to clean all of this stuff up. So body and soul can really come back together and choose what comes in and stays and what goes out rather than being victim of all the circumstances and having all the shrapnel of life attacking us at all times, we get to be able to separate and sift it out. Have you found that women that can do that, you know, kind of say, okay, you know, let, let's take a step back or, or, or see themselves, okay, my body and my spirit, whatever, that it's easier for them to heal and to start yeah. unpacking trauma and, and, you know, things that have happened in their past. Yeah, absolutely. Because then it's about like, we can tune into, okay, my right arm, like my right shoulder is really hurting. So then I'll say, okay, well, what does your body want you to know? Like, let's connect to that pain for a second and find out what are you hanging on to that's sitting right there in your shoulder. And then we can explore what did body choose to just pack right there into that spot. But when it's one, then it's just, oh, my body's the worst and my shoulder's hurting again. And I'm so angry and my body never does what I want it to do. And she doesn't ever perform and she's always hurting. But it's being able to go, okay, something is showing up physically to try to get my attention that there's something wrong here and I need to pay attention. I think it's really like learning how to tune into God and into intuition. It's taking the time to learn the language of how he speaks or how, you know, our intuition speaks to us. The spirit speaks to us. It's the same as our body. She wants to tell us things. She She's having this physical journey and she knows things intuitively about our life here just as much as our spirit does. So when we learn how to connect those two together, it's a really unstoppable team that many people don't take advantage of the ability that they have right here within their own space because right. they spend so much time being so angry at all the circumstances, all the things that have happened, all the trauma, all the pain, and it just keeps getting packed in deeper and deeper. So how do you, you talk about writing your playbook. How do you go about rewriting your playbook and throwing out the old one? What's some of the process? Walk me through how you would teach someone, one of your clients to do that. Well, it takes six months. <laughs> <laughs> That's but a long time. Is, well, because it's not something that you can go, here you go. Here's the worksheets, go do it. And then yeah. have you, you know, it's the same as going and listening to the talk and going, oh, that feels really good. I'm going to go do that at home. We just don't. We need yeah. somebody to walk beside us who knows what's on the other side, that the next time you have anxiety show up, what, how you need to show up in that moment, not the old way you used to show up, but holding you accountable to what you're choosing going forward. So in this process, we do a lot of different activities and exercises that, again, really build on each other, but it it goes, the program's called Stand in the Light. And the whole premise of it is being able to face the darkness 
and be able to move into the light. So there's some times where I tell people, you're not going to like me very much because there's really uncomfortable, like salty things that are going to happen. And we dig deep, but we do go down and we do that work. We face some of those scary things. We uncover and we unpack some of those bags to see what it is we've actually been storing, to see what do I need to keep, if anything. I use the example of my husband is a Columbine survivor. And so when I'm talking to clients, I talk about how this was a really huge event that happened to him, but the damage after the Columbine shooting was even greater because the shooting happened one time, but our minds play things over and over and over and over and over and over again. So now what was one time has become millions of times. Yes. Not only that, it's become like it's absorbed anger. It's angry yes. about it. It felt abandonment. It felt rejection. It felt helpless and worthless. And then there's some guilt, some survival's guilt, survivor's guilt in there. I mean, all the emotions with yeah. every single time the story is replayed. Well, it's not enough to just go in and go, okay, we're going to go ahead and remove that. And we're going to take this out. We have to unpack it to figure out some of these events caused many different types of pain. It yeah. wasn't just shame or it wasn't just grief. But there is sadness and there is anxiety and there is loneliness. And so we've got to be able to name those pains in order for the pains to then have a choice to leave. And once to let them leave. And once you name them, is there another process for releasing them and letting them go? And and were you the one that helped your husband work through that? We've done a lot of stuff together. Sometimes when you're really close to somebody, you can't be their person. You have to walk beside them while they do the work. But being in that space, he had to have other support systems in place. He's also in law enforcement. So he sees a lot of that pain every single day on top of the stuff that he already had. So it's important. Everybody needs somebody. And we can't always be that for our spouse. We can't always be that for our children. Like for sure we can walk beside them, but sometimes it takes outside eyeballs on the situation. Um, I tell people like we can't do our own heart surgery. We just can't. We need somebody else who has skills to be able to do that for us or a root canal or whatever it is Yeah. that sometimes I can sit next to my spouse while he gets a root canal, but I can't do that for him. I need somebody else more qualified to take care of that. And he also has to trust that space. So this work, like doing some of this deep healing, we face sexual abuse and we face, you know, I have one client who she was left at the state fair when she was three years old and mom just dropped her off and walked away and on purpose, on purpose. So you imagine like, then bouncing from foster home to foster home, she's got to figure out where do I belong in this world? Who really wants me? Yes. That's not just a one-time thing. That's a, nope. I, my brain has continued to create evidence that people don't want me Look, yes. in this foster home. And now I don't belong here. And so it just layers and, and compacts until finally the day comes when you're like, I want out. How do I get out of this lobster pot for real? And someone on the outside says, I know how. I will show you how that's me. Like I'm that's you. I know how to get you out and not just get you out and then go, okay, good luck on your own out here. But it's no, now let's equip you with how to stay out of the pot. Because once you've gotten rid of all that stuff, yeah, new situations will always come. Things will always be challenging and hard in our lives, but now we have a choice of how we respond to them. Not one of the most 
beautiful testimonials I get from clients is when they're yes. like, this big thing just happened, but I want you to know, like I made it through and I'm I did it stronger because they chose not to go back to the same old yep. patterns they've been playing in for years. They chose the new playbook. So how do you, as that amazing person, not absorb all of that darkness yourself that people put on you? How do you put up the, okay, this isn't my life. Cause I am an empath. And I, if people talk to me about things, I go right into that space with them. And then I start to think, oh my gosh, I'm so mad at my husband for doing this. I'm like, oh wait, no, that wasn't my husband. You know, like I'm not, I know it's not, but you're like, what if he did? And, oh, can you imagine? And what if my son did that? And, oh, and I go there and then I have, I get really sad myself listening. So how do you separate yourself when everyone's dumping and venting and you're working through these things with people. How do you stay happy and full of light yourself? So I wasn't very good at that in the beginning and I didn't have boundaries and I ended up with like kidney stones and my kids had pink eye and we had lice for like three months. Like crazy things. We had RSV in this like three or four month window of time. I had kidney stones. I had a concussion. I mean, you name all these crazy health things. And then I finally realized like, I do not have boundaries with my work. I am just a sponge and our bodies and my home, we don't know how to manage all of this darkness and all yeah. of this chaos. So we're just like, well, let it show up this way and let's do this. And so at that point, it became really important for me to recognize that I'm not the savior. I'm just not. It's not my job. He didn't ask me to do that. He never did. And when I try to be, then I take his job away from him and I go a very different path, which is not the path that I know that I am to be on. And so when I choose to sit with these women in this group space or in a one-on-one -on -one setting, I sit next to them in their darkness. I don't hold any of it. I don't take it from them to try to lighten their load. I just allow them to feel it and I can feel sad with them, but I don't have to feel sad for them. And that's the, been the biggest difference. And I have a team now because my, my organization has grown. Like we're across the world. Now we've got clients that are in our six month program across the world. And I couldn't continue to do it by myself. And it come mm -hmm. in these ladies, it was the same question you just asked, like, I'm absorbing, what do I yeah. do? And my, yeah. my team members, my coaches were getting sick and they were not feeling very well. And I'm like, all right, everybody needs to just listen up. This is what needs to happen is we are here to support and serve. And we can't do that when we try to carry it for them. This was never our stuff. We were meant to show them the way, not be the way for them. Mm -hmm. And so as we do that, as we really stand true in, I'm not your light. I will walk beside you while you find your light and I'll shine my light to help you find it. But that is my job is to get you to your own light, your source of what brings you joy and what's going to have you connected. Because at the end of this journey, I'm not after retention. This isn't like traditional therapy where I want you sitting on my couch for the next 10 years talking about all the things that have always happened. I want you out serving in your yeah. purpose, creating in your life, creating the ripples you need to create, not yeah. continually like needing me to help you yes. with your life. That's right. just not my purpose. Right. My purpose is this much in your life to be able to help you. And then you get to go and do your purpose and create your impact. So yes, we can't do it when we hold all of the stuff for people because they become very dependent on 
I need her. She's my person. Right. I'm not the person. He's the person. Like God's the person. And right. you're the person. You've got what you need inside. You just need to figure out how to find it. So let me show you how to do that and how to connect mm-hmm. with him. So 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 people know your title or what you're you're a cognitive behavioral expert. Mm-hmm. And your team, are they also certified therapists, behavioral experts, um, psychotherapists, like what does, who does your team kind of, you know, who comprises your team? Like what? We kind of have a a mix, a really beautiful mix of different people. So we've got a health and wellness director and she really works with people on, excuse me, on body stuff. Okay. Helping them with showing up differently in the way they eat. So if there's food addiction or, um, you know, digestion problems or whatever, she's the one that really combs through and finds out what's happening in body to help them that way. Okay. We've got, um, accountability coaches that work alongside me in the program that help them stay on track to their goals. So whatever their goal is, if, Hey, I want to lose 10 pounds this month, or Hey, I really want to connect to my spouse more fully then they help hold them accountable and walk beside them. I cool. do all of the big, deep healing work and I keep that in a really safe space, but my team really supports the back end and the outside circle of it to make sure that we don't lose anybody, that there's no wonder yeah. in this program that we've got this container where we hold everybody safely while they go through this journey. That is amazing. And so if people want to, if people are listening and they think, I really feel like I could benefit from being in your program or going to one of these retreats. Where can they go to find out more about what you do and and do you have to apply to be a client? So we on the reclaiminglight.com website, it'll have the different ways that you can work with us. Stand in the light is our six month program and that we do interview people because we want to make sure that you're going to do the work. Not yeah. that it's just this feel good or, oh, somebody told me I should get some help. And so here I am getting some help. Now, this is a working program. I can't do it for you. And nor does it work for you just to show up to a call once a week. Like this right. is forward movement continually. And so we just like to have that conversation ahead of time to make sure that you know what's coming and that you're ready for how how this is going to go. Um I also do one-on-one work for people who are more nervous to work in a group setting, which I always say, if you're nervous to work in a group setting, then you should be in a group because that's where we really learn how to be vulnerable. When we're in community, it's where we learn how to collaborate. We learn from each other. And some of the biggest aha moments come from those group spaces, not necessarily from something that I said, but from a question that I ask and then someone else answers and someone's like, oh my gosh, I feel that same way. Like, yes, that is me. And they resonate. It's that's what we're here for. We weren't put on this earth to be by ourselves. We were put here to be with other humans and learn from each other. So the group space is very powerful, but sometimes there is work that needs to be done in a one-on-one setting. And so I do offer that. And then I have a free community on Facebook where I give a lot of free value. I do free classes. And once a week I go live and teach new content or different topics of the month. And anybody um, you know, is welcome to join that and be a part of that space and learn and grow until they're ready to move into and, and step into the next space. And I also do a free consultation call with anybody because I don't feel like you should ever be in a situation where you feel like, 
well, I'm invested. Like now here I am. Right. Right. I want you to interview me just as much as I want to interview you. It needs to be a mutual fit. And maybe I'm not your person, but maybe I know somebody who could be your person Yeah. and vice versa. Like maybe there's something there. So I think having that conversation is really critical before anything else is exchanged so that you feel really comfortable in the deep end of your stuff with me to make yes. sure that I'm the one that you can trust. That's going to help you get out of that deep end and out of that darkness. So. Oh my goodness, Tiffany. Well, I think I would love to work with, I mean, just listening, I'm like, I want to do that six month program. I want to find out. Also, I would love that. Like I've, I've always loved learning about new things and new ways to better myself. And, um, you know, if, if something isn't working and, and the way I'm coping with stress and anxiety and overwhelm isn't working, I always love learning about new techniques and new things I can do to, to deal with that. And maybe it is as simple as, well, there might be something that I've been holding back that I haven't let go of. And that's why anytime anything else comes up that maybe isn't related, just kind of piles on and, and manifests. So super interesting information and so good to talk to you today reclaiminglight.com is your website. Mm -hmm. And you talked about a retreat that you have. It's called the rise of the queen. And mm -hmm. can you tell us just a little bit that's, Ooh, it just sounds so amazing right? and regal. <laughs> and yeah, tell us a little bit about what that is. Yes. So on our website, when you click on there, there will be a little button or link that you can click on for more information about the retreat. It's a three day event. And, um, it's not full days. It's virtual. Like it's, it's man time manageable. Like I get, we have kids and we're busy. So, okay, so you don't go anywhere. It's just, no, just going to be online. Okay. But you're going to get some, you're going to get some bonus materials, workbook type stuff. But for three days, we're going to really talk about what it means to step into being the queen in your world, the queen in your kingdom. And how do we show up in this world that is incredibly masculine in our divine feminine energy and in our in our space that we were made to be creators so that doesn't necessarily just mean having babies as women but creators we're the ones that nurture we're the ones that connect we're the ones that gather and if we're spending all of our time in this masculine heavy world checking things off of to-do lists and in projects we're missing the connection we're missing the opportunity to truly be the queen and so this three-day event is going to give you the opportunity to really step into and learn how to be the queen. And at the end of that opportunity, I invite people into the six month program called stand in the light. I invite you to continue the journey and grow with us over the next six months and explore what life looks like truly learning how to be that queen as you stand in the light. Oh, that sounds amazing. I completely agree with what you said that in order, I don't want to be masculine as a leader. Like I, I don't want to, when people are like, we need to see more women in business and more women in this and more women. And like, yes, but, but we don't want to become like a man doing it. I want to be the feminine, creative, nurturing woman in my life. It, it doesn't mean that, well, if you want to do this, it's a man's world. You got to compete like a man. Right. That's never felt right for me. Like, well, you have to just be more like him instead of, no, there's got to be something for me that I can still do and accomplish and be who I am. But in my unique and needed feminine way with my gifts and, and, and with what heavenly father has endowed me with. So I totally resonate with that. I think that sounds incredible. And that's all the information of when and where and how is on your yeah. website. Okay. Yeah. 
And not to mention like when we as women live in masculine energy and we're in relationships, two people in a relationship cannot be in the same energy. So what that does is it automatically pushes our spouses, our husbands into feminine energy. Well, then all of a sudden we're not attracted to that energy because it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel protective. It doesn't feel like the leader that we think should be in our husband's role in our, in our home. And there becomes contention. And so it takes us moving back into feminine energy to push him back into masculine energy for there to be balance restored in those relationships. But again, it's okay. This is like mind blowing. Okay. So, so let me just, so you say that when we, when we become more masculine, he becomes more feminine. Like you have to, because you have to have the yin and the yang. Yes. yes. Okay. And, and then we both feel off. Like, I don't like this. And he's like, well, I don't like this either. That is what causes, I'm like making an explosion. (laughs) It makes total sense. And I live, I have four boys. I live with four boys. So it's very high masculine energy in my home. But I have felt myself like feeling a little off, like trying to kind of match that a little bit. And I'm like, oh, but that's not. But then sometimes it's hard to be like the solo feminine. I am very feminine. But to be like the solo woman among all these men, like, oh, it's sometimes hard. I feel like I'm so lonely. I'm like, oh, I'm like on this island by myself. And there's all these crazy, loud, stinky boys <laughs> around me. <laughs> so what would you say to someone like that in a family where the energy is like so shifted? Like how, how do I balance that? So you need to take the class, the queen. Okay. The queen. <laughs> yes. Um, no, really it's learning what the, what the feminine energy entails and making sure that when you see yourself drifting into, because there's positive masculine and negative masculine, just as there's positive feminine and negative feminine, making sure that if you go into masculine energy, you're staying in the positive masculine energy, and then you're moving right back over into creation space and collaboration and nurturing, and you can be a leader and be nurturing. It's the it's finding that balance in between there, but also with all these boys, teaching them how to treat the queen is powerful because if those boys don't grow up learning how to treat a queen, they're going to look for a woman who is masculine because that's what they saw in their home. That's what they think is normal is which just boys. It's just masculine. If they don't learn how to be tender. They don't learn how to, to be soft and gentle because they're learning it from you. Yes. Then they don't learn it. And then their wife is going to be frustrated down the road because she's like, why don't you ever buy me flowers? Or why don't you hold the door? Why aren't you, you know, holding my hand? And he's like, I just want to wrestle on the ground or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> Naked. <laughs> yeah. But they don't learn if we right. don't teach them how to treat the queen they don't learn. And I love that would know. So it's teaching these young Kings how to become the King of their castle of their castle. And this is especially really beautiful for me because so my boys, they're all B names, Boston Beck and Briggs Benson. And so we call them the killer bees and I'm the queen bee. Ooh. And our dog's honey and our home's the Herbert Hive. And it's like a whole like thing. And so my husband's always like, mom's the queen bee, the queen bee. So that's really cool that, that you really have this, like the rise of the queen. Like that's really special. And I love that analogy too, that we are, and it's not just, oh, that's a fun thing to say. Like that's, that's cool. It's like, this is what we 
have the potential. This is what we're taught. We have the potential to become actual queens, which is beautiful to think about and, and a very specific individual role that is different from the boys becoming kings. And it doesn't take away from them being kings if we are queens and we need both. We need them both. We need both both energies. Yeah. We just have to learn how to balance them and stay in our primary energy in order for things to be in harmony. I don't, I don't know that balance really ever exists, but I think harmony exists. Harmony. Yes. Integrated and, you know, blended. Yes. Oh my gosh, Tiffany. I'm so excited. I'm I'm like literally going to get off with you and go right to your website and look at this because I think it's so cool and so needed. And there is a, a huge need right now for people to feel mentally healthy with everything that's gone on the past year. We've all just... I don't know. There's like the new word languishing. Like everyone's like, what is my purpose? And what is, what am I supposed to do? And I'm, I'm so grateful for women like you that have gifts and talents and, and programs available to other women to help them become better and reclaim their light. So thank you so much yeah. for coming on the podcast today and for all the good you are doing. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.